Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, we got Cole Zwicker. We're going to talk Game 2 of the NBA Finals. We're going to talk about boxes and one and the last time you saw uh, a box and one defense actually applied to a high level of basketball. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Warriors can do whenever they start to have to deal with all of the injuries that they are undergoing right now. Uh, and then finally, we're going to actually go on ahead and start breaking down NBA draft prospects. So uh, we're going to go through the guys that I have ranked 30 through 21 uh, in that order. Actually, we're going to go bottom to top. Uh, so 30, 29, 28, and then on down. Uh, and just like discuss them as prospects. We're not going to go as in depth as we will on some of the other top level guys. I'll also read off the 40 through 31 guys that I have here and we'll just kind of talk it through. So Cole, what's going on, man? Uh, it's going. I finally got onto the wire recently. So I started oh. that watch the first six, first six episodes in one night. For some reason, I couldn't get into it two years ago. I tweeted this and now I don't trust my judgment initially on anything anymore just because it's incredible. Like I'm, I'm already on episode seven, probably gonna watch a couple more tonight, but it's been a nice balance to all the tape I've been watching. So uh, you and I are big Game of Thrones fans, but that's actually how I started with Game of Thrones too. Okay. I could not like the first season uh, while the first season was going. I couldn't really get into it. It was like a little bit too slow for me to start. And I just, maybe it was like I was in college and like might've been drunk at the time, like knowing me, like <laughs> who, who knows. Um, but like, I couldn't really follow all the characters and it was just like kind of a tricky show to watch. I thought, and I couldn't get into it. And then, you know, lo and behold, probably around like season three, maybe I re- or maybe season four, I started to like really dive deep. And like was insane into the weeds. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just got to get over that threshold. Maybe it's a certain point in your life or something. Like for me, I have no, I, I can't even remember watching The Wire and not liking it. But for some reason, I just never got into the first episode. And I think you kind of have to get through the pilot and maybe two or three episodes sometimes to get into it. And then it's just like you just want to keep binge watching it. So excellent show. All the reports about it are true so far. And I've heard differing opinions on season two. Some people say it's incredible. Some people say it's slow and it gets incredible. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, seasons three and four of The Wire are the ones that you like. just need to get to. They're unbelievable. Um, season two's solid. It's good. There are parts of it that are really good, parts of it that drag a little bit. But it's good. You'll enjoy it. Gotcha. Um, like, if I was ranking the seasons, I would say three and... F- I would say three is, like, in a tier by itself, then four and one, and then two in a tier by itself. Well, three and four in a tier two in a tier by itself and then five in a tier. Gotcha. Um, all right. So let's talk about the finals uh, before we get any deeper into TV. We could talk about like I did a, <laughs> I, I'm so like deep in the weeds and draft stuff right now that like, you know, Laura and I decided that, you know, we were just going to do a spa day on Sunday just to like get me away from my phone for two hours and get me like totally away from everything. So we literally went to a place that does not allow phone service <laughs> that's how to do it man you just gotta eliminate all <laughs> all the extra bullshit <laughs> yes so let's uh let's talk about game two so game two is going the raptors way through the first half third quarter rolls around unsurprising uh we see a golden state just turn around that is unbelievable and then 
the fourth quarter rolls around and it looks like something out of 1990s basketball where nobody can <laughs> score and it's just all tough physical play and a lot of bumping, uh, a lot of foul stuff, a lot of uh, hand checking that doesn't get called. And, you know, ultimately we come away with a situation where the Warriors went like six minutes without scoring and still, still ended up winning. Uh, despite the fact that they didn't score from like the six minute mark until the five second mark left in the game. So what in general was your takeaway from game two? I think I look first at 34 assists on 38 baskets. That is unbelievable. Great takeaway. The Warriors ball movement was absurdly good. Obviously all the Steph gravity, all of the back screens that caused issues for the Raptors, but just how those guys made quick decisions. One play stands out when Livingston got the ball off the catch, already had like a catch and go extra step. I think he lobbed it. It might have been Bogut. I can't remember if it was Bogut or Green or something like that, but it was just all their stuff was operating so quickly. Like Toronto's defense, where they can really like key in on you, they have the length, they have the recovery speed, they have all that. But the Warriors' decisions and like how fast they were making their passes, you know, outside of, of course, the box and one, which I thought they still got some decent looks out of that. But before that, especially in that run to start the quarter, just the, the ball movement was incredible. And that's what makes this team great at their peak. That's why you have everybody that has <laughs> all the reservations about Durant and his style of play fitting in. Like when they're at their peak form, they just move the ball so quickly. You look across the line, Draymond, nine assists. Iguodala six assists, Cousins six assists, Curry four assists, but that was more like 14 or 15 when you factor in the gravity and like the screening stuff. Clay Thompson five assists. Just incredible. So yeah, uh, the ball movement is the biggest thing that I took away as well. Uh, the second biggest thing for me was DeMarcus Cousins being able to play 27 minutes and 37 seconds. Uh, I do. They absolutely needed him and they're absolutely going to need him the rest of the series just because of their injury situation. Um, It was interesting that they started DeMarcus in this game. Uh, I speculated at the time that it was because like maybe Steph was a little bit injured um, or not a little bit injured, a little bit sick coming into the game. I think that that ended up being right. Like he didn't, we would agree that he didn't look great. Right. Um, But in reality, you know, Steve Kerr just said we needed some initiation from our front court. Um, And that really helps. Like, DeMarcus Cousins, again, I don't have like potential assist numbers anywhere. I would bet you that DeMarcus Cousins in this series has maybe like 15 potential assists in two games with like what? How many uh, how many minutes? He's probably played 38 now, something like that. The ball movement when he's on the floor is just so exceptional and it's so important to what they're doing that it's just remarkably important to everything that they have on their table right now. Yeah, I mean, they have two big passers. I mean, Draymond and, and Cousins, they have two high post passers. They can catch at three-point line extended. You can run Curry and Clay off of actions. Iguodala is a great passer in the short roll, for example. So it really, Clay's the worst passer of that group by a while, like a, like a good amount. And if you can really put Cousins in there for Looney or Jordan Bell, Bell's a pretty good passer, but not on Cousins' level. And Cousins has the self-gravity. Like, you have to worry about him at times in the post. Uh, if he attacks a closeout, he's coordinated enough to draw a foul. He can duck in on guys. So he proved to be integral. I was pretty worried about him being on the floor with Kawhi Leonard. And this is kind of my second takeaway of this game is I thought they played Kawhi Leonard a lot better in this game. They yeah, played him to make him a scorer. 
You don't want to give him those easy one-pass-away reads. You don't want to show him bodies in premeditated fashion. They had a couple plays the Warriors did. One play stands out when Siakam had the ball in the post, and I think Jarebko rotated over just right in front of him. Siakam hadn't even made his move yet, so I think Siakam just threw it in to Kawhi, who had an easy basket, and it kind of pissed some of the other Warriors off. Those kinds of reads are too easy, and I thought in this game, they were like, okay, Kawhi, if you're going to be efficient on these pull-ups, if you're going to you know hit a high percentage of mid-range pull-ups as well as long as threes, I mean, he was 8 of 20, 2 of 9 from 3. You can live with that. You can't live with all of those wide-open shots that some of these other guys are getting. So I would definitely implement that strategy in Game 3. I'd like for them to do that instead of Game 1 where I thought, again, I thought they let the Raptors guys get going too much. Siakam was obviously incredible in Game 1, but I, I like the strategy more for the Warriors. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, a big thing for me is that uh, just Draymond Green has been all over the place on both ends. Uh, I think he is the MVP of the series so far for the Warriors. Uh if you look at the potential assist number, so I actually did look this up in terms of the last two games. I was dead on on DeMarcus Cousins, 15 potential assists in the <laughs> last two games. Do you know how many Draymond Green has? Oh, God. I'm not even going to guess. It's high. <laughs> 35 potential assists in the last two games. He only has 19 actual assists, but he has 35 potential assists. Uh, he's created 47 points, so about 23 and a half per game just via assists, let alone potential ones. He's just initiating so much for the Warriors on offense and taking on such a critical role. And then you throw in the defense as well, which you just talked about. He's doing a great job of helping on Kawhi Leonard when he has to, but then he's also doing a great job of scrambling and making it harder for the other guys to get off a little bit and get those open shots. He's just everywhere all over the place right now. And I think that without him, this is like a no question 0-2 hole where the Warriors have probably been blown out in these two games. I thought Draymond was much better defensively in game two. Game one, of course, Siakam, I think, got the better of him. He wasn't really expecting a lot of Siakam's counter moves in space and that kind of length and speed in the open court. Kerr did some really interesting things in game two, especially to start the second half. You know, moving Draymond onto Kyle Lowry was interesting. Putting Klay Thompson on Kawhi Leonard, Iguodala guarded Siakam. So getting their two best help defenders off of Kawhi to really help a little bit more. It was perplexing at the time. I was looking at like, okay, I mean, you you have to guard Lowry. You can't just let him shoot threes. But maybe Kerr was like, okay, Draymond can still close out because he's a smaller player. So the trajectory of the ball maybe is not as high. But I think they were just trying to help on Kawhi. And that was kind of an interesting strategy. Draymond was awesome. Like his help and recoveries, all of the rotations, all of that stuff's going to be there. But again, I thought he played much better defensively in game two. And that was a a huge reason why they won this game. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, I don't know. What what else do you want to talk about here? Let's talk about the box in one real quick. (laughs) So what is the last time you saw a box in one implemented at the NBA level? I can't remember the last time I saw it implemented at any level. My memory is getting poorer as I age, but (laughs) it's been quite some time. So I got told that Nick Nurse did this a little bit this year with Charlotte, I guess. Okay. Um, I, I haven't seen it. Like, I, I didn't go back and watch the tape or anything, but, like, maybe that might be a thing. Uh, this, Like, beyond that, though, like, I remember Jimmy Patsos, like, did a triangle in two where, like, he literally doubled Stephen Curry and face guarded him, like, away from the basket <laughs> when he was at Davidson and, like, basically played four on three. Uh, against like Jason Richards and Andrew Lovedale and guys like that. Um, like not NBA level talent, like shout out those guys, but not quite the same. Um, like just a very 
bizarre scheme and it very clearly worked uh basically from the time they went to the box and one to the time uh that andre Iguodala knocked down that three with five seconds left they didn't give up any points <laughs> that was it was pretty wild i don't expect that to continue by the way i think like that was oh kind no of ball like Cur- yeah. curl have something cooked up for that i actually thought they got some okay looks like queen cook got a couple threes but it's it's not going to work long term even if clay can't go game three and katie can't go i think curled devise some kind of plan i don't think that's sustainable yeah i agree uh what do you think the adjustment here is for the warriors let's say we know that kevin duran is out we know now that kevon looney is out so i I guess before we get into adjustments i mean what do we think of the fact that kevon looney is now out for the series what kind of impact do we think that makes I think it's a factor. I mean, he can get on the offensive glass. He's their best space big with length and space, even though Boogie's played a little bit better there than I gave him credit for. Like, his hand use has just been pretty good in pick and roll. But it just it just comes down to a numbers game now. I mean, Bogut, of course, played seven minutes. He can be okay in very short stints. I still don't really feel great about him on the floor as far as mobility-wise. Are you going to get a Jordan Belmore now? Uh, that has its pluses and minuses. He's had some good spots. I thought he was okay in game one. Um it's, it's, it's not like a devastating blow. I don't think it alters the course of the series, but it's a factor to me. So I think it, that's a good question. I think it's a factor insofar as uh, that the Raptors will be ready for those Andrew Bogut lob plays next time. Yep. They'll be ready for uh, ways to try and take advantage of Bogut on defense. I would imagine the Warriors would counter by potentially using Andrew Bogut a little bit in the same way that they've used DeMarcus Cousins initiating from the high post at times, because if there's one thing Bogut can still do offensively, it's pass. Um, And screen. And screen. Yeah, of course. So I am at the point where I do think that Looney is not that huge of a deal, but he's someone that you want just so you don't have to play Jordan Bell, basically. Because Jordan Bell was pretty unplayable in game one. I didn't think he was quite that bad, but he he's definitely not ideal. I, I For me, I just don't think that Looney's like a, a devastating blow to the Warriors. I think they can overcome it. They've shown that. They might have to diversify lineups and they might have to tweak rotations a little bit. We already saw Kerr do that a little bit in game two, playing Quinn Cook more with Stephen Curry and getting actual shooting on the floor around Steph because in game one, it was like Steph and a bunch of non-shooters basically with Draymond and that's just like basically Steph is running around off screens and nobody on the Raptors is guarding anybody else with Draymond having the ball. So I thought that you already saw that adjustment by Kerr getting Cook on the floor a little bit, just giving them another spacing option. So I, I don't profess to know everything about this series. Honestly, I think like both coaches are very good. Nurse has really proven himself, I think, in the playoffs and, and Kerr and the Warriors are just on a different level. So I keep saying this. I never bet against this team unless I have to. And I think they'll just figure out a way. We're getting to the point, though, like if Clay is not healthy and like Kevin is not going to play, I am kind of <laughs> at the point where I think you should bet against the Warriors. Yeah, it, it's understandable. I can understand you saying that. I'm just as long as like Draymond and Steph are on the floor, Iguodala even if Iggy's banged up and like he's really not moving well either, like that is concerning to me. Like they're just going to run out of wings at some point. It's like a depth issue. It, it's at some point you're going to play McKinney. He, he can't guard Kawhi. You can't have McKinney on Kawhi for large stints. So it's a numbers issue. Eventually, if, if we don't have Clay, we don't have KD. I could see that argument, but I, I think K, or Clay probably goes. 
just because this dude's like an ultimate Iron Man. I, I think he's probably going to play. They might hold Katie out another game just because they did split. They don't need him desperately yeah. yet. Well, Ke- Kevin's so, out for three. That's like they, yeah. they announced it today. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see that. So that, that doesn't surprise me at all. So I'm not going to bet against this team unless I absolutely have to. That's basically what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's reasonable. It seems like, you know, game four is the one that they're targeting to bring Kevin back. I will be very yep. interested to see what Kevin looks like when he comes back. I'm just not betting on this series full on. I am not getting involved because I don't <laughs> think any of this is predictable. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm, I'm talking about betting more as in like picking one side or the other. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't wager on anything. I think both these teams are incredible. This series has been great as far as high IQ guys on the floor. Like Marcus Sol, some of his rotations have been spectacular. Van Fleet has really redeemed himself. I mean, of course, like the, the recent stint of games after Philadelphia, like that series, he wasn't good. And then he's been incredible. And he's been more valuable in this series than Danny Green, frankly. Like he played 38 minutes in this game. He's a huge part of chasing Steph around screens. I thought he's been really integral to what they're doing. So he really has to keep playing well to the level that he has been. Siakam was five of 18. He was gonna, you know, go down to the mean after his game one performance, which was honestly one of the best performances I've ever seen from a 25 year old in the in the finals. That was ridiculous he was like the passing the defense everything was there for Siakam just a lights out game one he's going to regress a little bit I expect him to probably rebound a little bit as well in game three he's not going to be five of 18 necessarily but I do think maybe the Warriors are going to figure him out a little bit more and get acclimated to Toronto trying to push the pace and kind of their personnel because that was one thing that Kerr noted is like they haven't played these guys a lot they're not really used to all these long athletes that can really run the floor because Houston slows it down uh, Portland will slow it down they're not used to this kind of play style so maybe they get more acclimated to it yeah, I think that the only other point I want to ask you about on this series, again, like so much of this is unpredictable that like I don't really want to have takes. You know what I mean? Like I'm at the point now where <laughs> with Clay out, like with Clay, I have takes that like if Clay is healthy, the Warriors win. But without him, potentially, I think it's very difficult to really even feel confident saying something. Um, so. What do we think that this series says about the draft? So I've taken away two critical things. Uh, First, teams are better with smart decision makers on the floor. And physical strength is an incredibly underrated aspect of basketball. Like those are the two things. Because if you're strong enough to guard like for your size. So like Fred Van Vliet is strong as shit. Kyle Lowry is strong as shit. Um, Pascal Siakam is very strong. Kawhi Leonard has to be one of the like strongest players in the NBA for his size. I would imagine ever. Right. Yeah. Like ever. Yeah. Um, You know, Marcus Gasol is a strong dude who it's difficult to drive against if only because he's so good positionally that you can't just like bump him and get him out of the way. Um, Then you just kind of go down the line. Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green might be the best example of this series wide uh, along with Kawhi. So like there's just a lot of examples where strength is a critical factor within the NBA. And then you just have all these fucking incredible decision makers on the floor that make it so much easier with uh, just making sure that players are in the right spots and doing the right things. Yeah, I'm with that 100%. Both of those tweeted about the decision-making aspect in the draft and how guys, how to really evaluate them fairly and give them the proper credit to guys who can really read the play. I think the ability to process information quickly is integral. I would just add to those two things. Hands for big men. Again, like Mark, a lot of people came into the series, like how is Mark Gasol going to hang? How is Boogie Cousins going to hang? Both of them have excellent hands on defense, especially Gasol. We already kind of knew that, but I think it's being crystallized in like a more 
you know, wider setting as far as higher stakes in the finals against a better opponent. So both mm-hmm. those guys I didn't expect to be able to survive. Like a soul played 31 minutes in game two. Boogie, like you noted, I don't know if anybody really expected him to be as effective as he was and be able to hang at least okay defensively. Both guys have good length too. So I think hands for big men's really integral. And yeah, that's kind of it, except, except for, of course, something we already knew. If you have shooting liabilities, we knew this in the Portland series, like Golden State just didn't guard Aminu, they didn't guard Harkless, they didn't care. So Portland had to put in guys like Rodney Hood, Seth Curry. In the playoffs, guys were always going to help off your non-shooters. And I don't think the Warriors system can be replicated, really. They just, nobody else has Clay and Steph that can just come off a, a screen or a dribble handoff when nobody's guarding Iguodala. Like you saw Draymond flying out to set a ball screen for Steph to try to create separation to get that screen so Steph could attack a gap. And it didn't matter because Iguodala's defender on one side was sagging into the paint, and on the other side you had someone on Livingston, I believe, who wasn't guarding him either. So if you have a liability as a, sh- as a shooter, like some teams just aren't going to guard them. And you probably don't have the infrastructure to overcome that like the Warriors do. Right. Um, let's move on. Let's just kind of move forward. I have an ad that I want to get to. There's not going to be a crazy uh, transition today, <laughs> if only because I am the biggest fan of this company. It's Quip. Uh, look, Father's Day is coming up. Graduations are coming up. Quip is such a terrific gift for any of these things. Uh, you know, you can get them a one-size-fits-all gift, like a new oral health routine. Uh, the guiding features make sticking to good habits simple and signing uh up with them for a subscription uh, helps those people save. So uh, I can talk to you about why Quip is great. Uh, they have sensitive sonic vibrations for an effective clean that's gentle on your gums. They have a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to kind of tell you where you need to switch up to in your mouth. Uh, they have a multi-use cover that I use every time that I go on the road Uh to go scout kids, go to games, etc. It's great. Uh, brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five dollars. Uh, it's accepted by the American Dental Association. All of this stuff. It's just such a great company. I'm a huge fan. I find myself brushing my teeth more often now, even just because I have a Quip toothbrush. Um, There are over 1 million happy, healthy mouths that are also big fans of Quip. It starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash theory, T-H-E-O-R-Y right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That is your first refill pack at getquip.com slash theory. Let's move on. So, There are a lot of just random rumors right now about like trades within the NBA draft and within teams right now that make it basically impossible to project this thing. That's why I have no real interest in like trying to do a mock draft with you yet. (laughs) If only because like this order is going to be wildly, wildly different than what it looks like uh, very, very soon even. So, In that vein, I just want to talk about prospects and talk about kids and talk about guys that I'm a fan of. So we're going to start our big board project a little bit earlier this year. Typically, Cole and I, for the last couple of years, have done just the lottery in the top 14. This year, we're going to go out to 30 and start a little bit earlier. Um, It's going to be my top 30, which I have sort of set. Uh, I reserve the right to change some of these a little bit. Like, no one is going to go drastically up and down, but, like, there might be some people that, like, move up or down a couple of spots. Um, 
I'm going to read for you the guys that just missed. So this is 40 through 31. Admiral Schofield, Zach Norvell, Louis King, Dylan Windler, Bull Bull, Matisse Thibel, Bruno Fernando, Naz Reed, Daniel Gafford, Ty Jerome. Do any of those names stand out for you? I'll probably have Windler right around that range, maybe top 35, maybe top 30. I think for a contending team, if you're the Bucks, for example, I think yeah. he'd be an interesting fit because he can shoot from you know, 28, 29 feet spotting up, and that's what they like to use their wings as. So he stands yep. out a little bit just for the fit on the contender. I'll be higher on Thibault just because I'm going to play the upside card with him and say I hope he shoots. If he does, I, I believe in the defense. I believe in the instincts. Um, all of the anticipation stuff he shows on that end. And I think he's an underrated athlete. I think he can attack a closeout. I'm a little worried about the hot potato nature of his game as far as just getting rid of the ball as soon as he gets it i'm interested to see what he looks like in a different setting other than washington's zone so i'll be higher on him he's definitely a round one guy for me yeah i I do not uh believe in matisse's ability to attack closeouts really i think he is like uh one dribble guy and then kick and plus there's all the hot potato stuff there is all the um like he he strikes me as a guy that is tailor-made to become a record scratch player if he can't shoot threes yeah the that's definitely the retort. I, I totally get that. I just think, again, in this draft, you're, you're, there's some kind of trade-off with basically anybody. So I'm just going to roll the dice and, and say hopefully he figures it out. Yeah. So the guys that were top three here, uh, Ty Jerome, Daniel Gafford, Naz Reed. I've kind of like come around a little bit more on Naz Reed. I tweeted about this earlier. Um, Naz is someone that is... 6'10", a little bit taller than that, 7'3", wingspan, 250 pounds, not a great athlete, moves a little bit better than what I think he gets credit for laterally. Would you agree with that? Just a little bit? A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Like, he's not going to be a switch guy. He's going to be a guy, though, that I think I feel okay with in drop coverage. Like, he's not so slow that he can't play drop coverage. Uh, yeah, I mean, from a mobility standpoint, I agree with you as far as drop coverage. That's what he has to play. But then then you incur the issues of him getting exploded over the top of because he can't jump. So if he gets a drop coverage, like, can he really contest at the rim? I know he has the reach, but I still don't really believe in him. You know, he can't jump at all. So he's not going to jump and contest shots. I, most of those guys you see in dropper, like, he, he's very strong. I just don't know if he has enough, like, imposing size and the ability to not jump really hurts him there. But what he can do is he can shoot threes, not just from the corners, but he shoots them above the break from like 25 feet out, 26 feet out, which I think is a huge, huge factor that is underrated from like bigs right now. You look at someone like Brooke Lopez this year. Brooke Lopez is a lot better than Nazareth first and foremost, but like the, just that ability totally warps the way that teams have to guard opposing bigs. And if you get someone that can be like a consistent 36% three-point shooter as a center who could shoot from 27 feet out, it is just ridiculously valuable. And then you throw in the fact that like he can actually attack a closeout too. Like he has the ball handling ability to do that. And I just look at him as a guy who is probably a very good backup center right now. Like offensively, I think he ends up being a really, really uh, valuable backup center that you can play drop coverage with and he can outscore the opposition. That's definitely the idea. I still don't, just tr- I don't trust him defensively. If he has to close out to the perimeter at all, he's totally fucked. Like he has, his closeout defense, his balance is, is really poor. His technique's poor. I just don't trust him on that end. I don't trust him as a rim protector. I, I get what you're saying, though, as far as above the break threes, tacking closeouts. That's obviously a big reason why I like Jaron Jackson last year, but the 
other flip side is he could actually defend right. at a very high level. So I think for I mean at, at thirty in this range, it's not it's not criminal. Like I might draft Nas at the end of the second round, but I, I'm not like high on him again because I start with defense with bigs and I just don't see how he gets it done on that side of the floor. Okay, so if you're Milwaukee and you think you're losing Brook Lopez this year, because like realistically, Brook Lopez should be like a one year. $14 million a year player, probably, right? Something like that. Based on if this year, yeah. Mo- yeah, if you're giving him like a one-year contract, like he should get an obscene amount of money more than what Milwaukee can pay him. I don't think it's wild for the Bucks to draft him at 30. Just because of that specific skill that they need that he has. And I think, again, not to to trigger the bowl bowl conversation here, but they would, I think they would rather turn to someone like that, who, you know, for sure is a better shooter. I think Bowl's definitely a better shooter than Nas Reed, like pretty convincingly. And he's a better reach and drop coverage. Like I still don't think that Nas Reed can do what Brooke Lopez does. He's not quite as big. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. So I get, I get what you're saying as far as scheme fit though. I, I do get what you're getting at. I'm, I'm just not sure he can do those things. Well, I, I get that's how you have to use him, but I'm not sure if he can execute. Right. And like Bull Bull, like we can talk about why I don't have Bull Bull in my top 30. Um, so he like doesn't have great reports in terms of background. Uh, like teams are just not coming away thinking that he's someone uh, that they want. <laughs> um, the I'll just kind of leave it there, I think is fair. Like this is not really news to people, right? Like these are things that no. have been out there from the time that he was in high school. So uh teams nba teams just generally still believe in that um the foot injury the navicular bone injury is concerning to me like you know his attorney who has like a vested interest in him because it's like his friend spencer friedman's dad uh can release what he wants to release in terms of it being fine in terms of long-term outlook i have serious concerns about guys that are seven foot two 207 pounds and have foot injuries uh, I have serious concerns that like Brooke Lopez isn't going to like give him a WWE style backbreaker at some point and like end his career because he's just like that skinny and that like sp- incapable of dealing with contact. Like you say that you would play bull bull and drop coverage. I actually have small concerns that bull would not even stand up there. Uh, to be honest now, like going back and watching his tape, like if you watch that Iowa game, like Jordan Bohannon, like blew by him when he was standing at like the 17 foot mark. And that stuff is like concerning. <laughs> I mean, like there, his footwork, his mobility is not great. He has a super high center of gravity that just doesn't seem like it's going to translate to the NBA working well. Um, I, I just don't see it. I, I mean, I've never been real high on him. He's someone that, like, if I miss, I will say, hey, look, I was totally wrong on this. Congrats to Bull Bull. Great. But I, I just don't see it at all. I'll be honest. Yeah, and let me be clear. I think that's half how you have to use him. I don't think he can do it either. <laughs> I don't think he can execute in a drop scheme. I think he's going to get exploded through. I think if he has to come out at all, you could hit him with a hesitation move. He doesn't change directions well. He's very poor on closeouts. If you get him going north-south, not good at changing directions in that way. For me, on top of everything you said, I agree. I'm also very low on him. It's the effort plays. It's some of the plays. He allowed like a duck in in that Iowa game. I think I can't remember who it was that ducked in on him, but he gave no resistance. He gave he basically gave the guy a layup and got right. pinned easily. No no response. It was Luca Garza for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that play alone, I, I don't want to just put so much in one play, obviously, because there's other factors. But can you imagine like another a, like a quasi elite big prospect that would ever do that? I don't know if I've yeah. ever seen that before from anybody. Yeah. Like you at least have to offer some kind of resistance in the post. And plays like that are just they're pretty damning to me because you have to win when you're big. If you don't play hard all the time and you don't play physical, there's going to be a lot of guys in this league that do that. Even undersized guys that'll just get into his legs, move him off his spots with that high center of gravity. So I, it's not like this guy is also like the most high IQ player as far as his passing, his ability to read quickly on defense, rotate quickly. So there's a lot of area concerns. I get like his stats are insane, right? If you look at his shooting stats, his blocks, his numbers this year, like 28, points per 40 minutes pace adjusted or whatever like they're historic numbers for a freshman i just think there's a lot of issues when you watch the tape and i think there's a reason that teams aren't super high on this guy as far as all the reports go is because of the factors that you noted yeah and like if you made me bet i would i will have bull bull like right around the first round mark um in my final mock draft i don't know if it's going to be close. Like it's going to be a lot closer than people think. I think in regard to if he'll be a first round, genuinely his range is like, there are teams like late lottery that are looking at him. Um, like, I'm not going to sit here and say like, there's no chance he goes in the top 20. I think that there, that would be a lie. I think that like, there are just enough teams that are considering him there, that there's a chance. I also strongly believe there is a chance he falls out of the first round. Yeah, and I could see him going high, too, just based on that upside. As far as I'm very confident that he can shoot above the break threes. He can be a Brooke Lopez type. He can get threes off from distance. Like, that guy has incredible touch, incredible range. I don't care too much about the low release in that specific setting just because he can get it off so quickly. If you start talking about the rest of his game, shooting off the dribble, contested, I I don't know if I believe in all of that. The in-and-out dribbles, he's incredibly coordinated and skilled. But it's just... I have to look at the defense, like how is he going to be utilized? If he was in a zone defense, like you might be able to convince me, but there's no NBA team that plays zone defense all the time. So I don't really know how he holds up. And then all the physical concerns, of course, it's, it's, it's a lot more risk. I get rolling the dice and you say in this class, how many high upside guys are there, but how likely is his upside? It just seems so small. So you, so like you bring up the idea of defense as to why you have him over Nas Reed. Right, like you believe in him a little bit more defensively as like a rim protector in drop coverage? I think I would just take both sides. I would take I believe in his shooting more and I would just take his length just as a dice roll. I don't really believe in either guy. Uh I would trust Naz Reed in drop coverage more because I think that he's capable of absorbing contact from a guard and like stopping his momentum a little bit or like slowing down his momentum, whereas Bull's center of gravity is just too high that I don't think he can actually stop the momentum and then I think he's just going to get exploded through basically. Whereas with Naz, the question is, so like, I don't think Naz will get exploded through because he has the lower center center of gravity and the like 50 pounds. It's literally like 50 pounds on bowl. And it's just like, you're making a guard go over the top then, which I think is not great because he can't leap. And I think that the best guards will go over the top of him, but I also don't think they're going to go through him and create like point not or you know point or one point eight point per possession chances at the rim. I think it's going to be like with Naz, they're probably like one point two five, one point three point per possession chances at the rim. Uh, whereas Bull, it's just going to be like he's either going to give up in coverage or he's just going to like get blown through and foul or get blown through and like uh, give up like an easy shot. And I think both guys are going to get beat around the corner a fair amount as yes. well. So if you have yeah. a mid-range shooter, like a guy who gives him a hesitation, I think both guys are going to be exposed to that. So it's kind of just taking either or as far as how they're going to get beat, in my opinion. Like I would just probably take Bull's 
margin for error with his wingspan and just say, like, sure. even if he gets exploded through, if he puts an arm up or something, he could, you know, counter the shot. I don't know. Like, again, this is all semantics because I don't really believe in either guy. But I, I think that's just the <laughs> argument for both. <laughs> so so here's some guys I have lower. Um, are you a Darius Baisley guy? I would actually take him over both of these guys at this juncture. I'm starting to wonder if I would do the same. Uh, he was 41 for me. Um so he's like right there. If a team takes a shot on him at the end of the first, like wouldn't be wildly surprised. Um, Terrence Davis, I have at 42, very real chance that, you know, he ends up better than a lot of these guys. I think he's been yep. awesome in workouts. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker. I am not a fan of at all. I'll just be real about that. Um, Daquan Jeffries. I like as a second round pick, uh, yep. you know, We've talked about Jalen Noel. We've talked about Terrence Mann. Like, we talked about a lot of these guys. Like, is there someone that I am, like, way too low on that you think? I don't think so. I think we've talked about Taylor Horton Tucker. I'm a little higher on him, but I am probably more towards the skeptical side. I don't really know what his range is as far as everybody's consensus board. He's probably going to be in the 20s for me, along with some of these other wings, these freshman wings like a Romeo Langford or a Keldon Johnson, Kevin Porter. I haven't done my final board yet, but I think he's going to be in that group. There's some alluring qualities. His handle is advanced compared to a lot of these guys. He has some moves, but I don't know how much I buy the defense, and he's not the best athlete. There's a lot of concerns there, so he's more in the developmental, maybe second contract guy. I'm very interested to see where he goes in the draft and like to what team, because development's going to be really important with him. See, that's I think he's like, if he works out, he's going to work out as a second contract guy, which is why I'm not like excited Me too. about him whatsoever. Um, Alright, let's talk about 30. Eric Paschal, Forward from Villanova. Uh, I believe he's going to turn 23 soon. Does that sound right to you? That does sound right. He's a little on the older end. I'll search for that while you talk. So, yeah, he turns 23 before the, or like right at the start of next season. Um, yep. 6'6, six, 6'10 six, six, wingspan, uh, 250 pounds. Fits this mold of guys for me that are like just super strong and super uh, physical and can hold up while also retaining a level of explosiveness and quickness. Uh, his quickness isn't elite. I would say it's like solid, not uh, certainly not a guy like the next guy that we'll talk about here. I think he's probably a little bit lower uh, in terms of the quickness than uh, I'll just tell you it's Chuma Kiki's 29. Uh, not quite as quick as Chuma. Um, but what he does do is I think he's going to be able to shoot it above the break. Uh, I think he's going to be able to match up across the board with a lot of different players athletically. And uh, I think that his ability to explode in traffic is actually really, really good for a player his size. Kind of getting slept on right now. A little out of sight, out of mind with him. Hasn't really popped on. I think a lot of people have just kind of forgotten about him. Villanova wasn't great this year. Um, of course, with him as one of the two best players, along with Phil Booth, didn't make it that far in the tournament. I think they lost to Purdue, right? Is that correct? Yes, and got like yeah. owned. Yeah, so I, I think there's alluring traits with, with Pascal. I think this is a definite fair range for him. I might actually end up with him right around this spot as well just because his shot's kind of wonky because he gets a ton of lift on it, but I do trust it. He He's had consistent results from three. I think he can extend it probably above the break. Again, a lot of jump in his shot, and you worry about that a little bit, but I'm not super worried about it overall. He's shown enough. Can, t- can really attack a closeout. I think he can load up off two. Very explosive off two. Can really finish in traffic that way. 
Don't like him as much off one, but that's kind of semantics with better space. You'd think he could be okay. You know, good passer. I don't think he's a great decision maker by any means, but you can definitely see the skill set. He played with Jay Wright. He moves the ball. I, I think he's a pretty smart player, um, unless you're talking about rim protection, which we can get to. But I, I definitely like some of the stuff he can do in offense. Yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, I think he can actually attack a closeout, which is something that like I didn't mention for sure, which is very valuable. With Villanova guys, you know that you're getting players that understand how to play in space just innately. Like He knows how to relocate off of an offensive rebound, knows how to do a lot of actual smart intelligent basketball things uh he knows how to jump stop like you said and then make a kick out he knows how to uh switch defensively and do uh be in the right position there he knows how to communicate defensively there's just a lot of really really smart things that he does on the basketball floor that i trust translating to the next level like he's going to be someone that is you know maybe a third forward on a team and i'm a fan yeah, and very aggressive. The Villanova guys are very good off the catch as far as making quick decisions, when to catch and go, and then, like you said, jump stopping in the lane. So footwork-wise, that's what Villanova is usually really good at. So you can see that in his game. I like him defensively, too, in certain respects. Like you said, the strength, very obvious. He's good laterally, I think, for his weight. He can even trim down some with you know athletic training and get a little bit quicker, even though he's already good there i think he can hold up maybe not against everybody but i think he has some versatility in his switching game what do you think there yeah i agree with you i think he's going to be able to switch two through five realistically if he stays at 250 pounds like you're not going to think it's the worst thing in the world if he's on a five because you're not going to get posted against him yeah the low center of gravity he can kind of hold position i think he'll be okay there there's one glaring issue in his game that i don't like and that's the lack of rim protection and that's in his stats that's on his tape what do you think about that yeah it'd be nice if he was like something of a weak side shot blocker but he's definitely like he's a four for sure so you definitely want something there you're probably going to want to play him with a real shot blocker like you like something like someone like utah or like a spot like utah i think would be a pretty good fit for him with rudy gobert there uh trying to think what other what other late first round spots make sense M- for him. M- i said mb maybe at 24 that's that's starting to get a little high but of course philly has picks 33 and 34 if he falls there yep brooklyn i think makes sense at 27 because they have jared allen already um milwaukee just the way that their defense runs it just naturally filters everything toward the center in the middle and the center is just always going to be there for help for the most part so i i would be pretty comfortable with him in a situation like that so there, there are a lot of kind of fits that make sense i think agreed and i think i'd be higher on him and again he's kind of getting overlooked a bit i don't see him talked about basically at all in draft conversation and i think there's something there like he's he's definitely a prospect in my opinion i, I would be higher on him i'd probably have him top 20 if i really felt better about his weak side timing on blocks i just i've watched so much of his his tape and i just i don't really see the reaction that i ideally like to see and it's going to come down to fit. Like Again, like you said, if he plays next to a rim protector, you're still losing that from the four. And that's what worries me is I like those backline guys who can really rotate on time and contest shots. I'm not really sure if he can do that. But in this range, there probably aren't going to be a lot of other guys who can, who can also hold up offensively. So having talked this through with you now, I think that I actually might need to move him just like a little bit higher. Not a lot higher, like no higher than like 26 or 27. But I, I think Fair. that he's good like he's actually like i feel confident he's an nba player 
yeah, I, I think I'm with you there. I, I don't know if there's a ton of upside, but he can shoot and he can play at least some space defense. And that's a, a good starting point to work with. Yeah, and I threw out numbers earlier, uh, 6'6 with a 6'10 wingspan. He actually went to the combine and was 6'7.25 in shoes with a 7-foot wingspan. So there's a little bit more length and upside there than I thought. Yeah, and he has some bounce, too. He he can jump, so that'll help him a little bit. So there's there's something there, at least. Uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Chuma Okiki. So Chuma did not measure at the combine. Uh, It is thought that he is something in the range of six foot eight with a seven one ish wingspan if i remember correctly um auburn forward 20 years old okiki is a very very smart defender a switchable defender uh not quite as fast as i think he gets credit for sometimes you and i have talked about this a little bit um good shooter from the corners questionable shooter i think above the break a little bit right now but overall, what are your uh, thoughts on Chuma Okiki? One of the highest IQ players in the draft. And you see this in, mostly in his team defense. When I first watched him play, he kind of reminded me a little bit of Kenridge Williams. Not the same player, but as far as how intuitive they are off the ball and their timing, they just know they know what's going on on the floor and they can anticipate. They're always in the right places, it seems like, on the floor. So I love that about his team defense. And of course, he has real length. So I think he can play the four. That's his ideal position. I really, I, again, I usually bet on guys who are really intelligent, and you could always see that in his game. He can pass on the move. He makes great decisions. He's really unselfish. He's one of those guys who, like the ball linker in a system where he'll make a quick decision to keep an offense going. Very, very adept at that. But I do think I have more concerns about the athleticism than a lot of people do. Not that it's bad, but I also don't think it's great. Like, he's not a switch guy. Like, I think if he gets switched onto a point guard in the NBA, like, he's not containing Damian Lillard off the dribble. Even with his, no. like he's just he, he doesn't move that well. No, like I've heard the Draymond Green comparison for him, and I, it's just no. like, look, like he's smart, but a Draymond is like ninety nine point nine nine percentile of like NBA players all time in terms of basketball IQ. So comparing people to Draymond is foolhardy, and b he doesn't quite have the quickness that Dre does I don't think like maybe you could make the case that he takes off some weight and can add a little bit but I I don't know that I see that yeah I mean if people have time go back and try and watch him try to guard Trey Jones in space it didn't go well for him like his hip flip is a little it's not quick enough I I just don't think he has that immediate reaction he just doesn't have the foot speed to be a high leverage defender on the ball so in the regular season I feel like he can He's going to be a a plus defensive player, in my opinion, at least through a lot of the competition. But what I'm worried about, and I'm not sure teams will actually do this, and this is getting a little bit too far advanced as far as playoff basketball or something, but if he starts getting isolated on an island against quicker players, that's when I don't know if he's going to have a ton of defensive value. Because when you take him off the ball, as far as being an off-ball player, that's where he thrives the best. If you put him on the ball, we've seen that a little bit with Robert Covington, and I think that Covington is a better athlete. We talked about this off-air. I think Chuma comes down, as far as laterally, somewhere between Kyle Anderson and Robert Covington. I don't think he's Kyle Anderson as far as that slow, but I don't think he's that athletic. I think it's going to get exposed some of the time. Uh yeah, I think he's like a pure four, basically. Like a switchable guy that you can kind of throw on multiple different player types. But like you want him with ball handling. You want him with a little bit more athleticism on the floor that tends to come from the three position. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think I I buy enough of the shot. That's obviously going to be the big swing skill for him is can he make an above the break three? Can he shoot? I don't really know if he can shoot off motion, but just off the catch. Can he make a consistent three? So you have to guard him because I'm not sure if I believe in his closeouts to like finishing at the rim dynamically. I think he shows a little bit more there than he gets credit for as far as vertically. Like he can get above the rim and finish, but I love his passing on the move. I think that's when if he attacks a closeout and he gets any kind of four on three, like if he plays with a dynamic point guard that you can't switch against i think that he can attack a four and three and really make high level decisions and that's like a constant theme in this class there's a lot of very good passers that are you know hybrid bigs i guess you could call them yeah like this draft gets killed a little bit in terms of is it a good draft is it not a good draft i actually think that there are going to be a lot of players who play in the nba and carve out like a lower level role on nba teams uh I don't know how many difference makers are, there are necessarily in this draft. And like we can look at, you know, everyone outside of Zion and John RJ maybe and kind of raise significant questions about the value of the number four overall pick and the value of, uh, you know, the number 14 overall pick. And I think that there are real questions about all of those. But I actually think there are going to be quite a few guys in this class, including Okiki, who like end up being useful NBA players. I agree. I think that's what this class is. It's got some depth. It's got some depth and potentially quality rotation players, even some undrafted guys, potentially. Like, I'm a, a big, pretty big fan of Cody Martin. I like him in that range. He might not get drafted. So, I, I agree. I think that we're, we just don't have enough of those tier two high profile guys. That's kind of what the draft is missing. All right. So, let's move on. 28. 28 is a guy that Cole is not going to have nearly as high as <laughs> I am. Uh, I am going down with the ship on this one. Uh, Lugans Dort. He's kind of a guard, you know, sort of wing type player. Uh, 20 years old, six foot four, uh, I believe six foot nine wingspan. Let me pull that up. Yeah, six, eight and a half wingspan. Um, 222 pounds, so like a thick, jacked, Danny Ainge type frame. Uh, <laughs> overall, I understand why Dort is questioned and why there are some people in the industry that are not quite as high on Lugan Stort as I am. Uh, he is a player that you really have to question what the offensive role is if you don't believe in the jump shot translating. You have to kind of question, is he a bit over-aggressive defensively? Uh, is he a little bit, uh, does he get out of position a little bit too often? I don't really question the defense at all, to be honest. Uh, I think that he is going to be an extremely high-level defender, and that's where he's going to derive his value. Um, but overall, I get I get the concerns offensively that you're about to raise here. I mean, for me, this kind of goes to what a big board is. I'm not going to start on that kind of tirade, but just at a certain point in the draft, I would absolutely take Dort because I think the athleticism combined with the, the alleged work ethic, you know much more than me about his intangibles, and I think that's uh, an alluring trait. Yeah, I'll just throw that out there. Like, elite-level human being, insane worker. Like, has to be, like, kicked out of the gym to, like, stop working. Um, that That kind of stuff is appealing. So, like... To me, like Portland could use someone like him that can uh, like just take pressure off Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and take on ridiculously hard defensive assignments and act as someone that can just like annoy the shit out of opposing guards. Yeah, I, I get the allure. And of course, the athleticism, the, the build, that's his main attraction in conjunction with that work ethic. So I don't want to say like I wouldn't draft him. I would. There's a certain 
point where he becomes kind of like a value play. You look at the rest of the board and you're like, there's no other upside. Like Dort has some upside. There's no question that that exists. I just don't know how likely it is that it gets there, even with the shot. And we'll kind of see where that goes. Obviously, he has that higher moon ball kind of release. And it just seems kind of inconsistent overall as far as off the dribble, off the catch. Maybe he irons that out. I usually don't bet heavily against shooting. Like it, it's possible because shooting can be so high variance. I'm more worried about his de- decision making overall. Like when he attacks the rim, he gets blinders. He tries to finish around a ton of bodies. No kickout vision for the most part, at least consistently. Like everybody does that occasionally. I just don't trust his decision making on offense as far as especially attacking the rim and then defensively off the ball. Like I'm a little worried about him lapsing and making poor rotations. I think on the ball if in the role that you described when he can really get into guys and really be that physical kind of bully ball guard defender that nobody wants to go one-on-one against. I think that yeah. provides some value, but I don't and know how valuable that is. And he's like full court, pick up a guy like 90 feet from the basket and just annoy the shit out of them. Like that type yeah. of on ball defender. Uh, and like quick enough to actually recover. If someone beats him, get back, yeah. you know, he has all that, like that, that stuff is, real and it's there um in terms of the jumper so it's bad uh we'll we'll start there i don't think that he lacks touch which is like a good thing to note right like i i think that he actually does have reasonable touch uh you don't shoot those moon balls like that without touch um I just like, like, I know like the people he's working with on the shot as well. And like, I trust those folks to really kind of fix his jump shot. Um, I, I like, look, some of this is just intuition. Like I believe in the kid. I believe in the jump shot getting fixed up. I believe in him heavily defensively. Uh, I think that he can derive some value as like a secondary ball handler. And if he can get to a 35% jump shot level can derive values, a secondary ball handler and can be an elite level on ball defender. That's like, you know what? Lower end Marcus smart, right? Like just Marcus smart without the ability to facilitate offense consistently. Right. Yeah, I get it. But like Marcus smarts, like a fucking genius at basketball. Like that dude is really smart on both sides of the floor. Does not get nearly no enough question. credit for his, his decision-making. So I don't know what like a bargain Marcus Smart looks like because Marcus Smart is like one of the most unique players, but I get where you're going. Of course, it's just, that's my holdup with him is right there. That delineation between do I trust Dort to make decisions on the floor on either side of the ball? And based on what I saw at Arizona state, the answer would be no, but he's obviously, I mean, from all reports, he's really smart. Maybe he's someone who just learns incredibly quickly and he gets better. So th- that stuff is hard to predict from the outside. Yeah, I mean, his stock is very mixed. Like, I've heard of teams that don't have him uh, anywhere near their top 50. I've heard of teams that, uh, you know, think he's a first-round pick. So it's he, he's someone that is very, very, very mixed around the league. Doesn't surprise me. Let's move on. 27, Carson Edwards out of Purdue. Uh, guard, 21 years old, 6'1", 6'5", wingspan. Uh, this is basically scoring guard who can knock down shots. Do you have thoughts? I mean, he's one of the most dynamic pull-up shooters in the class, maybe even the most dynamic. He can really he's has a rare combination where he has that high two-motion release at the top of his forehead, but also gets the kind of rise where he can rise from 30. And usually those are one-motion guys like a Garland who relies on a quick release. Carson can do both. He can shoot kind of those difficult shots a little bit in the mid-range, but he can also shoot from 30. And I think that is his entire allure to me is the fact that he can warp defenses when he crosses half-court in theory. 
and you have to react to him when he gets like a, a early drag screen and you have to really come out and come get him and then that opens up bigger driving lanes bigger passing lanes because there's a lot of deficiencies in his game so there's there's one other thing that i want to bring up too is and this is what i missed on with landry shamit last year uh i was not super high on shamit and it's something i fucked up on and i'm like learning from shamit has the unique ability to sprint off of screens and yep. catch and rise up immediately. Carson Edwards is super fast like Shamit is, probably faster than Shamit is, to be honest, has the ability to stop on a dime, rise, and quick release a three-point shot with high levels of efficiency. That is a rare skill, and that is an extremely translatable skill to the way NBA offenses operate now. It's an outstanding point. I agree 100%, and I think that allows him to function in an offense like Utah's where maybe there's a little bit more motion, and he yep. can come off a screen, and he doesn't have to initiate like a one five i would hate for him to do that i like him more as a transition point guard where he brings it over like you push in transition he he commands that attention in theory from his pull up and then you kind of go you go into a set like maybe i brought this up when i did a pistons podcast and of course that's really high for them to take carson edwards but playing next to blake griffin for example who basically initiates their offense if you could get a shooting threat there to initiate initially and then kind of run off screens i think that's probably his best fit as far as play style well, the jazz, the jazz are perfect too. Like you can do it with, Absolutely. Uh, you can have him uh, be the transition point guard who can take those drag screens and then you can have him move off the ball and you have Joe Ingles or you have Donovan Mitchell initiate the offense and go from there. Yes. And I think overall to the overall point of, of Carson, if he was a more, if he was like a world-class athlete, I would be higher on him. Wait, wait, like, wait, 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 time, time out. You, you don't think he's like a wild athlete? I think he's a very good athlete. I don't think he's a world-class athlete. I don't think he's Damian okay. Lillard. Like, you look at their standing vertical at the combine. He's, like, 28. That's, like, kind of average, honestly, for point guards historically. I know that's not everything. And he has dunks where he'll just go off two and dunk with his left. I think consistently, though, it doesn't look that good. If you watch all of his finishing, I watched all of his finishing clips in a row from this year just because I wanted to get a better sense of if he can do this stuff. I mean, he's going to have problems at six foot, even with that six five. Right. Um, length, but if he was like a if he was Dame or something athletically as far as a leaper, and even Rob Burst, I would be a little bit more in. I don't think he's quite reaching that threshold though. I think he can really leap. Uh, I think that like it translates, and he's a power athlete too. Like he looks like a free yes. safety out there. Um, you know, you don't need more than like because what what was his non uh, what was his regular like vertical. It's probably pretty close to 40, I would bet, right? I don't think it was that high, but I'll pull that up while you talk. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. I have it. Okay. It, uh, it was, uh, wow, it was much, was he hurt? That's what I'm saying. It wasn't as good as you'd think. 34? Yeah, dude, I'm telling you. Like, I had the same reaction. I was expecting him to, to look bouncier based on some of his dunks, and I saw that. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And, like, last year it was 34 and a half. Like this, we have we have two year sample of vertical now. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? I'm thrown. I had the same now, reaction. I had literally the same reaction. Now I'm thrown. Um, <laughs> wow. So yeah, like I think he's. I think he plays bouncier than that, though. Like, would you agree? Great. So yeah, that's and, what and like threw he me for a loop. And like he has the power to like play through contact too, because he has those like super strong legs that just allow him to like absorb it and bounce off of it. So yeah, I think he's going to be a good like 
third guard that you bring off the bench for offense, basically. And that's where I'm at, too. I'm just saying if, if I believed in that elite-level athleticism more, I would be higher on him just with the pull-up gravity. And the strength thing is really important to note. Like, he can really run into guys, and he's not like Garland or Kobe White where he's more of a narrow build. Like, he can use his forearm and really create space with that high release. I think he can get shots off in the mid-range. He can hit some fadeaways. We saw him shoot over the top of DeAndre Hunter. So I, I do think there's some diversity to his shot. You already talked about the off-screens, but I think he can actually create his own shot pretty well. And not just like deep pull-up threes. I think he can, again, use that strength to create that separation. Yeah, uh, there's that. Also, I just want to bring up like the negatives of his game because we've talked a lot about the positives um, just with yeah. the shot. He's not a distributor. Like He's full stop not an NBA point guard. He is a guy that you want as a like bench guard next to a primary half-court offensive initiator. Yeah, he's the guy you play off of a wing initiator. That This is like the, the classic guy, if it can hold up defensively, which I think he might be able to with his strength level. I think that's kind of underrated. But to this point, he's not a natural anticipatory passer. He's not going to see the entire floor and pick and roll. He's a guy, he's a draw two passer is what I call him. Is like If he commands the attention of, of two guys defensively, if they have to come out and pick up his pull-up, he can make a simple read out of that. He can make a pocket pass. He can swing it even with his left hand a little bit, one pass away. But he's not coming down and throwing a skip pass you know, no look looking off the defense. So he's not that caliber of passer. Yeah. So like he was much better as a decision maker when he played off of PJ Thompson in his sophomore year at Purdue, yes. um, you know, one Oh four to 64 turnover assist to turnover this year. He had the same amount of assists at one Oh four and the turnover spiked to one thirteen. So he actually had a negative assist to turnover ratio this year, which is just shocking and strange in so many ways. He also like, I want to say that he in Big Ten play was like 39% from two-point range, something like that, 40% from two-point range, which, as Cole was saying earlier, like not a great – did not finish well this year, Um, was not a guy that uh, explodes – he explodes through contact, but like for whatever reason, like he just doesn't have those like uh, touch finishing abilities that you look for from – like smaller guards, like a Kyrie or you know whoever, guys who don't like just blow through contact or anything. Yeah, and he's not like a mid-air adjuster. Like he's built kind of like a running back, so you don't see a lot of contortion with him at the rim. Like he doesn't have those crazy moves. He's kind of just more like two. He loves to hop off two and then ex- left extension finish. I don't see a lot of like up and unders or really like like you said touch finishes that he's gonna have to do. When you're six foot in the NBA, you have to have other aspects of your finishing game you're not going to be able to go to the rim every time you got to kind of be able to adjust on the fly you don't see as much just because again he's, his hips are kind of tight he's not that kind of flexible athlete let's move on though we gotta we gotta get moving on these guys <laughs> we didn't we didn't want to go crazy and here we are uh cam johnson at 26 six nine uh shooting forward wing type i guess is the way to put it like i'm not really sure exactly who he guards yet 23 years old so he's the oldest guy that has a shot to be drafted in the first round um north carolina you know was for me their best player this year uh in a season where you know obviously they have uh, nasir little who's slated to go ahead of him and you know a few others that are uh terrific players as well uh Five years in college, averaged 17 points this year, six rebounds, 2.4 assists, kind of a sneaky good passer, I think. Um, you know, took 639 threes in his, high, in his college career and was at 40.5%. I feel very good about him being an elite level catch and shoot player. 
he's the best shooter in the draft to me. And you talked about shooting off motion. He's also Ooh, that to me. That's a yeah, good both one. Both things. Yeah. So, you know, you, you watched him against um, DeAndre Hunter in that game against Virginia where he came off, you know, I think a double around two picks. And Hunter was like slithering around these picks. It was pretty awesome defense by Hunter. You know, Cam Johnson catches from NBA three reigns. Feet aren't even fully set. Like, executes the hip turn, hits like a fadeaway NBA three. And I don't know if anybody else in the class can do that. Frankly, I I don't think anybody else can do it from NBA three. And we've seen that sample. He shot something absurd from NBA three this year. It was like 46%. It was incredible. At least that's what we have it on our site. He is a high-level shooter, like gorgeous mechanics. He's someone that you don't... There's no projection as far as uncertainty with his shooting. Like, if he's open, he's going to have gravity. He's going to be able to run off screens. There are weaknesses in his game, but he's going to be someone that shoots. And I think the NBA is going to value him. Contenders should, starting in Oklahoma City, you know, Philadelphia, potentially Milwaukee. He's just a, a rotation wing to me that's going to knock down shots, and he has gravity, and he can, he can run off screens. And there's not a lot of guys who are just dead eyes at that. Funniest cross-racial comparison I've gotten this year is from an NBA person is Steve Novak for Cam Johnson. It's it's not wild. Like I don't know if he's quite as good of a shooter as Novak. Novak was like literally lights out. Like that guy was like a ninety-seven percent free throw shooter. Yeah, um, I don't know that he's quite that necessarily, but there are some concerns here with Cam in the same way that there were with Steve in that uh, he's just very, very thin. And I wonder how that holds up in uh, defense just the whole way, you know? Yeah, there's two concerns with me. It's like on offense, he can run off screens. But what happens if you switch? Like, what's he going to do in isolation? He's not going to do anything. He can't drive. He's not going to get to the rim and finish explosively. Like you said, though, he can pass. I think his passing's underrated. Like, he can come off a pin-down curl and hit that over-the-top pass or make a skip read. He's smart. Defensively, he's not very physical. Like, that's the thing. is it, He has okay feet if he's sliding laterally. I think he's actually okay athletic there. If you get him starting to change directions, that's where he really struggles. So if he guards a point guard, he's totally fucked. But, like, I think he can hold up okay against some of the maybe second-tier wings, some 3 and D guys. You have to hide him a little bit. But his team defense is okay. It's just how high is his ceiling if he can't create for himself? I, I just think against certain teams, he's going to get played off the floor for multiple reasons. He's not going to—he's not someone who's going to punish a smaller defender either. It's not like he's going to post somebody up. Like Daquan Jeffries when – I can't remember who tried to guard him. I think it was Kyle Guy in the combine. And he just threw him out of the gym. And you don't see that from Cam Johnson. He's not that physical. Yeah, so with like – with Cam, I don't see any world where he is like a plus defender really um i struggle i think that like the ceiling is he can be average just because he knows where to be and is like smart but i honestly struggle to see where he even gets to average on defense yeah from a value it's gonna have to come off the ball a lot again i don't think he's a total train wreck as far as space defense laterally but i don't know how many situations he's gonna be that he's not like off the ball i'm not he's not that fast as far as chasing guys off screens so if he guards like a reddick type he's not gonna like lock and trail and be able to stick with someone like that so i'm just very curious i'm very curious to see how a team utilizes him i think he's gonna be the hide guy i don't think he's novak i think he's more athletic than novak laterally he's not like that bad but I, I don't see any kind of high ceiling with him. Ho- you're hoping for average with the off-ball decision-making, I think. So, yeah, I, I feel like I've kind of just gradually slid him down just a little bit every time. I think he will end in my top 30, but, like, there are there are things that, like, I worry about just a little bit. Me too. And 
I think if from a you know what you're getting standpoint, you can make an argument for him top twenty. I just he has an NBA skill, he has diversity in that skill, and he's smart. Like I think he can work with that at six eight, even though he doesn't play like he's six eight. But for a team like the Magic, for example, they could use him, but like there's not a lot of upside. Like I think a lot of these teams should be looking to shoot a little bit higher than this. But for again, a team like Oklahoma City, potentially you can really utilize this guy. I think he makes some sense. Yeah, Oklahoma City and Utah are the two that like just stand out in such a serious way for him. They have enough yep. creation. Just fucking take the shooter. <laughs> there you go. Um, Luka Samanich is 25 for me. Forward, uh, played for uh, Union Olympia this year in Slovenia. Uh, 19 years old. More of a power forward than a center to me, despite being 6'11 with a 6'11 wingspan. Um Let's just kind of – I'll give you the floor. How much tape have you seen of Luca playing this year? Um, not a considerable amount. I've watched enough to have an idea of him. Uh, I watched mostly at the Combine that first scrimmage. We've already discussed him kind of at length. I was surprised pleasantly with his performance there. He played better there than I had seen him internationally. So he was someone who I think you can make an argument for here. Um, I'm probably a little bit lower on him, but I, I kind of get what people are saying about the Karuk's comparison. He looked more explosive as far as his first step. I'm still not sold on his passing ability and his decision-making. I think there were some times where you know, he really struggled from what I've seen, but I do like his handle for his size. I, I, that really impressed me at the Combine, and his shooting ability, we'll see, and the space defense, he can move in space pretty well, so there's some stuff to work with. So... I was not super high on Lucas Amanich, uh coming into this year. Uh, I had him as like a borderline first round pick. He dropped down to probably about 50 at some point on my board. Uh, came to the combine, was in exceptional shape, was 230 pounds, uh, had yep. actually put on muscle with someone who could really absorb contact because at basketball without borders, even where he was going up against other 18 and 19 year olds, he kind of got pushed around a little bit. I thought on defense and kind of got pushed around even on offense when he was like really, you know, driving and capable of doing some things. So I, the fact that he was capable of putting on this much weight and making it look like good and it was functional and he was capable of holding up on drives against guards and he was capable of holding up in different sorts of uh, pick and roll coverages at the combine. Uh, I was very impressed. And then you throw in the fact that he is uh, a very good decision maker out of pick and rolls. Uh, he is a very good uh, passer to the corners, very good kickout passer. Uh, once he gets the ball, you can throw him in, you know, pick and pops because he has NBA three point range. There's just there's a lot of talent there, and I know he's 19. I don't think he can play immediately in the NBA necessarily, but I think by year two, there is just so much talent there that he will be very very useful for a team, uh, even maybe off the bench. Yeah, I definitely got to go back and watch his pick and roll possessions then because the game, I haven't watched his synergy possessions. That's something I should definitely do. I've, I've seen just a couple games and I haven't seen that plus decision making, the, the passing ability. So maybe I'm just catching the really? wrong sample. Yeah, weirdly enough. Mm. So I will go back and I will go back and do that. It's good. Let me, I'm going to pull up the synergy numbers. Do you have, give me other thoughts on Lucas Aminich real quick while I pull up the international synergy stuff. Well, I think I share a lot of the strength. Um, 
overlap that you displayed as far as being able to put on that girth and still be able to move like his movement skills were i thought pretty impressive at the combine i thought that was a lot of his allure was just the lateral agility he got low with the ball a couple times attacking closeouts he looked like had a pretty explosive first step and that's kind of what surprised me about kuruks the most i didn't watch a ton of him internationally before the draft but right when i watched him with the nets he was just much faster to the rim than i gave him credit for so i think salmonich i don't know if he's that fast but he's He's got some bursts, and I think attacking a closeout, for example, if he can make a read, and that's clearly something I need to iron out with his projection, I do like some of the physical talent that he showed. Keep talking. And I will keep rolling. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 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 almost there. I swear, I'm almost there. Keep going. (laughs) I just think in this range of the draft, you look at opportunity costs, and if this guy can be a stretch four that can switch, shoot the ball from three, maybe make some plays off the dribble attacking a closeout. I don't know if any of these guys, like Edwards, how realizable is his upside? Cam Johnson, same discussion. Dort is another discussion entirely. But if he can do those things, I think he has a lure to a team because that's kind of what the modern game is looking for in many ways from the four spot. If he can hold up physically, and I think he went a long way to show that um, at the combine. Yeah, the problem is now that there aren't really any numbers in regard to just like passing the ball. Uh out of like pick and rolls, a roll man on synergy. I forgot about that. That's the that's the one concern with synergy that is frustrating at times. Um, you know, was zero point seven uh, assist to turnover ratio this year, seventy turnovers. That's not great. Uh, yeah, I, I like some of what he showed as a decision maker, especially out of like short rolls and stuff. So let's uh, we'll come back to that one pre-draft. How about that? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, that's that's one guy I got to dive a little bit deeper on in this specific category. Um, number 24, Casey Apala. Casey is a guy that we disagree on. You are not going to have him top 35 probably, right? Like you would draft him, but you don't think he's like a top 30 prospect. Correct. Uh, so let me give the positives here. He is uh, about six foot nine. I believe. Yeah, let, let's call him six, eight and a half because he wore shoes at the combine that gave him 2.25 inches, which might set a record for greatest like height without <laughs> shoes to height with shoes gain I've ever seen in my life. Shout out, Casey. Um, eight, ten and a half standing reach, seven, two wingspan. So a guy that, uh, you know, pre- pretty solidly at the four spot, I think, but has the ability to handle the ball like a three, in my opinion. Um Definitely a guy that you want to put in catch-and-shoot scenarios where he attacks closeouts. Not a guy that really knocks down pull-up jumpers at a high level. Uh, Defensively, it's hard to separate what he was this year from the disaster that was, in my opinion, Stanford's defensive scheme. Uh, They closed out so heavy on three-point shooters that I think it often put him in a... Uh, disadvantageous situation in regard to like keeping his feet solidly on the ground and being able to like uh, just slide with a guy. Uh, He often found himself stuck in recovery situations basically. And uh, you know, situations where he had to uh, guard guys away from the basket and guard closeouts. So I look at him as a player that has very real upside still at having just turned 20, I believe. If he can get to the point where he can knock down shots consistently from three, he was a 37% three point shooter this season. Those numbers were considerably worse in pac 12 play. Um, Finished the season very poorly. Once the scouting report got out on him, 
but I am still willing to bet on the upside of good fluid athlete, not necessarily an explosive athlete, but a fluid athlete who can handle the ball has great hand eye coordination. Uh, a guy with six guy at six, eight with a seven, two wingspan and a guy that is as smart as he is and is as hard of a worker as he is given just the mechanical adjustments he's had to make to his jump shot over the year. For me, he's kind of like a height, weight, speed cornerback, like how those guys are analyzed. Like they have the physical tools, they have the measurements, but just something's missing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just something's missing in his game. Uh, I I pulled a bunch of defensive clips and for some reason, I can't remember what my issue was with him defensively. There was one specific thing that that I noted. I, I think you're out here calling me Al Davis. Give me, give, give me, <laughs> give me Mark Davis. Give me the, give me the bowl to put over my head so I can cut my hair. <laughs> I very much agree with your point about closing out. You can tell that's partly a scheme thing, just with how frequently he was just leaping at guys. And so I think a lot of people will say poor closeout technique, and it was, but that might have been the scheme that he was trying to execute. You know what I mean? So you have to give him some kind of a break there. I just don't know if he's explosive enough on either side of the floor. Uh, I, I like the length. I don't know how well he can add strength and keep his movement ability, which I don't think is great. Like he does get beat in space at times and I don't see like the dynamic recovery ability, like the ability to really leap from the floor and contest in the situations. Like he does get effort at times there. So I I don't know what he is is supposed to be. Like he's not the technical defender that a DeAndre Hunter is as far as in space. Like he's just not that good. And people are like, What's the difference? No, not even a little bit. It's like DeAndre Hunter is like incredibly technically sound. Like everything he does is containing the ball, chest bumping, all of that stuff quick reactionary feet I, I think casey's okay in space if he's sliding but what quick quick change of direction moves he'll get lost there so what is he really like what is the conception of his defense he's supposed to be like a weak side rim protector at a high level because i mean i didn't see a lot of intelligence with him on defense not like he was like a terrible terrible defender but he, he wasn't a plus for me in any capacity there so i just kind of wonder about what his role is on that side I think that you have to hope that basically the footwork and the he's not it's not that he's like not quick. Uh, it's like it's not like he has like below average quickness for a guy that's that size. I actually think he's uh, got pretty good feet for a player who's six, eight and has that kind of length. Uh, but it's not like an explosive, you know, first drop step. What like would you yes. agree with that? Yeah, I like him in like a if he's moving laterally, he's fine. That's not my issue with him. It's more like change of direction, that initial reactionary move. I don't think he's that good at. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that a big part of that too is strength. Uh, he has put on like a lot of strength over his time at Stanford. Even uh, like he's probably up to two hundred and twenty pounds or so now. I would guess he came in honestly probably at like two hundred. I think his frame portends well to filling out. Like he has the broad shoulders, like a pretty skinny waist. Uh, it looks like as he continues to like get in the weight room, he, he is going to be able to add some strength in my opinion. Do you think he can add strength and maintain his mobility? Yes. I think that my answer to that would be yes. Uh, the reason that I say that is, man, you might not, you might be right about that. He does have like, <laughs> well, so here's the thing. He has like kind of a high center of gravity. But he also does a good job, for instance, of getting low whenever he has the ball in his hands and is dribbling, right? Like he does a good job of catching with his legs bent. And then now that then they has his legs bent, a good job of getting low and driving with his legs uh, to attack the basket. Guys who have that natural bend tend to have the ability 
to retain some quickness even with length because they're just technically a little bit better in regard to like moving their body and like mechanically being sound with their body uh i would say that i there are reasons to believe both sides of that and if you're going to buy into casey you basically have to buy into him being able to retain quickness with strength yeah, and if he can't do that, if he's just going to add strength, I think he becomes more of a straight four um, rather than tracking some wings. And, and you, you could talk about offensive skill level really quick. Um, I like the handle, like you said, controlled handle for a size. I worry how functional it is as far as like first step. That goes to like the first step explosiveness, the ability to finish in traffic. I like his passing from a standstill. I don't think he's a dumb player as far as when he can see things in front of him. I think he's unselfish at times, even though he's selfish at times because of the context. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the way he plays at the NBA level. I was not enamored with his passing on the move. He misses a lot of kickout reads. We talked about this in the last podcast as far as a lot of floaters. Shows some touch. I'm, I'm not opposed to his jump shot. I think off the catch, he looks okay. I'm more like, is he going to make a play for you? If he gets swung the ball, can he make a play on the move? Is he explosive enough to finish at the rim? I, I think there's some concerns there because he's not going to initiate your offense. He's more of like a, a wing type. Uh, can he even operate on the short roll? Like, how confident are you that he can really like make a read on a short roll or finish explosively over rim protection? It's hard to say because he was legitimately never asked to do that. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of like, where I go with him. It's like, what is his role? <laughs> It, oh, no, it, it, this, you're 100% right. that This is totally a bet on, hey, this guy has tools. Like, this is, this is a tools bet. Uh, betting on someone that is, like, 19, just turned 20 years old, who put up 17 points, six rebounds, and two assists a game. Like, I actually think he does have, like, passing instincts. Like, he can hit kickout passes when he's driving with the ball. I Like, I just can't answer, does he have any sort of ability as a like short roll guy. Cause like, I just don't know. That's not how Stanford's offense operates. Yeah. And that's, that's not my only point about short roll. I'm a little more dubious about his on the move decision-making. I think I didn't see that in the games that I watched to the level that I'd like. He can pass functionally, like especially like he makes bad passes sometimes too. Yes. That's, that's more what I'm getting at is like, it's not necessarily maybe the vision problem, even though I I do think he can get really tunnel vision sometimes when he attacks, it's more of like, do I trust the decision-making element of that? Yeah, no, I I think that's certainly reasonable. Again, like the tunnel vision stuff to me seemed somewhat scheme related because Stanford hates taking mid-range twos. So I'm pretty sure that they were asked to like get tunnel vision drive all the way to the basket uh, as opposed to like, you know, hey, do the Villanova thing, drive, jump stop at the 10 foot mark, survey the court, shoot a floater or kick out. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I'm trying to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt for the surrounding circumstance, which was not good. So I'm trying to give him, like, passing on the move. I, I still am not enamored of the decision-making. Um, but, yeah, I, I, again, it just comes well, down to... Here, here's what, what I would say. This is a bet based off of incomplete information for me. Yes. Um, I would need to know... Like, I would need to get in a room with him and ask him, can you break down what you should do here? Like, hey, uh, we're going to short roll you into the 19-foot range. Do you know to make a floater? Do you know to attempt a floater here because the center decided to stay back? Do you know to hit the cross-court kickout because the help defender came? Like, there are a lot of different little things I'd need to ask him about to know, like, hey, does he have the wherewithal to do this? This is why NBA teams will know this information. This is why I won't know this information, you know? <laughs> yeah, 
exactly right. And I think for me, I can only judge what I've seen on the floor. So I can't give him benefit of the doubt. I know you said he's really smart. I've never met him, never seen him break down a play or whatnot. So I can only judge what the sample is. And the sample wasn't persuasive to me. Like, I, I don't know what he's really good at on an NBA floor. But I get the allure of the tools, the size. Again, height, weight, speed, quarterback. Cornerback. I think that's what it is. It's just taking a dice roll on the tools. Yeah, I definitely think that it's that for sure. Um, and I'm like betting on just knowing that he is like a hyper intelligent human being. But how much does that yeah. hyper intelligence translate to it all? Honestly, it's a situation where I have imperfect information and am <laughs> gambling. You know, like this is this is this is a thing where like I play poker and like you know I, I'm comfortable taking a you know if th- let's say this is like me going for a uh, you know I I have. Ace, king of hearts, and the flop comes, two of spades, queen of hearts, two of hearts, you know? And I'm, like, going for a flush draw. Yeah, and I think this kind of delineates our approach a little bit to the draft, whereas you'll take shots on guys with tools more than I will. I'll take guys with shots on intelligence a little bit more. But we're at pick 24. It's not like we're in the top 10. So <laughs> I, th- I think right. it's fair. So let's go to 23. Fiondu Cabangele, uh, a guy that is, like, rising in the draft, I'll say that first and foremost, he's murdering workouts. Every team that like his, uh, that I've talked to that has seen him says he is just a monster. Um, just awesome. Awesome. Uh, every time. So there's that did not start at Florida state for reasons beyond my comprehension. Uh, you look at his production. It is fucking exceptional. 24 and a half points, 11 rebounds, 2.8 blocks per 40 minutes. Uh, you know, 50% from the field, 37% from three, 76% from the line has the ability to step out and knock down shots. Like I, I get the appeal here. Six foot 10, seven, three wingspan, uh, potential center who can step out and guard a little bit on the perimeter. Not a guy who's going to guard a lot on the perimeter, just a little bit on the perimeter. And then additionally, a, uh, potential stretch center who can, pick and pop and i think he can actually knock down shots from above the break from three as well i'm with the shooting i'm with you there i just don't really like the way he moves that much there's just something about how i do agree with that yeah so his movement skills that's kind of what turned me off to him if like he was this ultra fluid athlete like watching gonzaga and this isn't fair to compare comparing to brandon clark who's just ridiculous as far as movement skills but it was glaring like some his reactionary ability even contesting shots at the rim like cabin gelly's a load leaper and he kind of runs a little rigid. So I don't love his hips. Yeah, I don't love it's his a, It's a mechanical thing as much as anything. Like the mechanics of the way that he moves yes. don't look exceptional. Yes, exactly. So if he was that player and he could, I really trusted him more in space, I would be a little bit higher on him. I think his biggest weakness is the dude doesn't fucking pass. Like he's just not a passer. He's not going to make reads. He's a stretch big. Uh, I don't know. He can dribble a little bit. I don't know how fluid he is as far as, again, movement skills go. But can he make a decision on the floor? Can he make? Would you ever trust him with the ball in a leverage situation if he gets swung the ball outside of shooting? Because I, I I'm with you on the shooting. I think that's going to translate. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answer to that <laughs> is. If he can make a pass. I don't know if he, like, has ever made a pass in his career. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like the numbers tell me that in 71 games, he has 21 assists. I can't pick, I can't pick one out like from memory. Uh, I do think part of it was like his role on Florida state was straight up to just be a guy that knocked down shots and like scored, right? Like it was part of his role, but you know what? Part of his role 
or like that was his role in large part likely because he isn't a great passer like 3.7 assist rate as a freshman 3.2 assist rate as a sophomore that's just like those are numbers that are so paltry that like they are immediate like red flags the turnover rates are great like 10.4 turnover rate is fantastic for a big man but he can put the ball on the well i think he can for, for a guy who can put the ball on the deck a little bit too like 10.4 yeah. is not bad. I agree. I, I think that's his selling point is the spacing ability plus the ability to put the ball on the, on, on the floor a little bit. But it's not like a situation like Texas where Jackson Hayes, Mo Bamba, those guys always have low assist rates because all they do is dive to the rim in their offense. Like it's high pick and roll, you dive to the rim. And you rarely have situations like Oklahoma State for Jackson Hayes. But we actually saw him make decisions there because they were right. trapping the ball handler and letting him go four and three. Like, with Kevin Gelly, like he pops and he has guys open. <laughs> like he'll miss guys. He'll, there'll be four guys open on the floor and he won't make a pass. And maybe that's his role. Maybe that's how he's wired. That's what he's told to do. I don't have that information, but I'd want to find out if this guy can make a decision on the floor because as much as we talk about unicorns and spacing the floor, protecting the rim, he has the length. It's just like at a certain point, you have to play basketball within five on five. It can't just be individual skill. So that's what I want to know. Okay, so the good numbers for Cabin Gallet, uh, 77th, 77th percentile as a catch-and-shoot guy, 90th percentile around the basket as a finisher on non-post-ups. Uh, they posted him far too often last year for what he was, in my opinion. Um, 49th percentile in large part because he's so good at drawing fouls. Um, I don't really know if the foul drawing will translate at the next level just because uh, a lot of them came on post-ups and some of them came on cuts as well, but like a lot of them came on post-ups and that stuff is not really translatable just because there are so few post-ups at the next level. And you have to be able to pass out of the post for an NBA team to play on the post. Like no team is going to run post-ups for a guy who can't pass because it's just too inefficient of a shot. Yeah, uh, definitely agree on just the efficiency of those looks um so is there anything else we need to talk about with him like where do you have him i guess is a real question um probably he won't even make my top 30 most likely i'm just not that interested frankly um i get the allure and i get why he's blowing up workouts and the ability again the length the ability to shoot shooting is paramount with bigs i just don't know what else he can really do if he was a more fluid athlete i would feel better about him and he would definitely be in my top 30 probably even top 25 potentially even with the the decision making issues but i just don't know what is we should we should talk about the athleticism though because he does wear these big bulky knee braces that are concerning um he also plays with like a super high motor and has the length to i think actually deal with uh just recovering and uh sliding with guys and like cutting them off with length like i I do i don't look at him as like a non-mover i actually think he can move his feet a little bit uh he's not a switch guy at all but i do think that like he can move his feet Yes, and that, that's a, a good delineation to draw. And that's, I'm not saying he can't move at all. I just, I'm just i saying I don't think he can move at a high level. And for his kind of player, I would want him to be more fluid in space. And in recovery situations, again, he's kind of a low leaper, so he has to kind of gear up. He's not right. quick, like super dynamic off the floor. If he was super explosive in that initial off-the-floor movement, I think that would even the gap a little bit. He, he has a margin for error because of his length, um, so that, that's going to be beneficial. I just don't know, man. I, I don't see the high-level defensive impact. His rotations at times are good. Like, he, he can disrupt the ball, and he is active. I think, like you said, his probably his best quality, honestly, is his motor. Plays really hard. You can yeah. get a long way with that in length. 
but I'm, I'm more concerned about the the mental side as far as decision making goes again yeah i think that that's totally all reasonable um i think that's about all i got on cobb and gallo oh here here's one question i want to have I want to talk to you about. So like we've now talked about guys like Cobb and Gallet, Naz Reed, Bull Bull. What is more valuable to you with big men now? Because these are two things that you and I often talk about. Would you rather have a big man who can shoot above the break threes or would you rather have a big man who can switch defensively? Uh, both. No, <laughs> I mean, it's so tough because with a, I think this is the, the thing. This is the point is that at a certain point you have to have, all of it if you're a big to play at the highest levels like you have to have so much of this in your game unless you're just crazy intelligent like marcus soul for example who doesn't have the mobility you know yeah, what I, mean? like, I, you, I don't know that i agree with you that you have to have all of it anymore i i think you do if you really want to be an impact big i know there's been some tweets about like look at the bigs who are in the finals and stuff like that but i mean in some high leverage situations they're going to get played off the floor i think you have to have maybe not all of it like every single element like you have to be space defense you have to be rim protector or floor spacer put the ball on the floor make decisions maybe not because that play doesn't really exist i guess for me it it still starts with defense i'm always going to prioritize defensive decision making you know versatile in space but also especially from a team defense standpoint so you got to be able to move well enough and then offensively yeah i mean you can't just have a straight space five. Like again, like Brooke Lopez against Toronto got exposed against Kawhi Leonard in pick and roll. I think that's important. Yeah. He got exposed a little bit just because of the pull up stuff for sure. I think that that's exactly. reasonable. Um, but like at 23, I guess my thing is I'm comfortable taking a guy that can't play at the highest level. You know what I mean? Like, even if he can't, even if he is a 82 game player versus a 16 game player, like Draymond Green likes to say, at 23, that's still valuable to me, I guess. It, it, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that standpoint. I would say I would lean more towards a wing in that situation just based on positional value. Like the, the, like the matter of fact thing about this is there's a lot of these guys that aren't going to be 16 game players. Like those are very hard to find like true 16 game players. So I I get the argument again. I just, I think I would probably invest in a wing, for example, just based on positional value over him. Right. Keldon Johnson is Keldon Johnson, a 16 game player. I don't think so, but sell me on it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Keldon Johnson came to the combine. Where was he in terms of measurements? Six, six, uh, eight foot eight standing reach and six. So he's six, six with a six, nine wingspan, but has an eight, eight standing reach. That is shockingly large in terms of standing reach for those measurements. It is. That's impressive. Um, so the skills that Kelton Johnson has, I think he is very, very good at, well, um, nothing he's great at, but he's <laughs> sort of good at a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like he can shoot it a little bit. I think he will be like a solid shooter. He can handle the ball. He can attack closeouts a little bit. He can pass it a little bit. He showed that at lower levels, did not really show that all that much at Kentucky this year. So part of it is like previous sample scouting that sometimes works out, sometimes doesn't, because not all of these skills translate to the next level all the time. Um, what are your thoughts on oh, also like super high motor kids, super like engaging, intelligent, like awesome kid to be around. Um, and then I will also note that... Uh, just generally like a super hard worker who everyone like in the Kentucky program, like absolutely loved. But what are your worries here? Yeah, I have him in this range too. So this is where we get in some alignment. I, I 
I think there is some things to bet on with him. I'm not super high on him. He's more in like the developmental range and guys I don't think are going to be potentially impact guys. I think you hit the nail on the head starting off. Like, what is he really good at? Like, what is his plus skill in the NBA? Like, he shot better this year than I think a lot of people thought he would from three, even some movement stuff. He kind of played a little bit of that Kevin Knox role in Kentucky's yep. offense where he came off the screens. He showed some footwork. He wasn't like Cam Johnson sprinting off the screen and, and squaring up on, on the move, but I think he has a little bit of ability there. So I'm not really overly concerned about his shot. I don't think he's going to be like a dynamic shooter necessarily, but that's not where my issue is. My issue is more with him as an athlete. I think he's kind of overrated. He tries really hard. I love his motor. I love his physicality. Like the way he played against the Duke team, he looked like the only guy that really belonged on that floor for Kentucky. Like he was running into Barrett. He was, you know, taking blows in space. I love his mentality, but he's someone that he slides in space and it looks like he's working his ass off, but he gets beat. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the Colin Sexton where he's like clapping, he's getting all into it, and then he just gets completely blown by you know what i mean and I, I don't see that high level athleticism with him and you see that on both ends you see it as a finisher you see it with like first step deception i just think some of his hustle and some of his approach to the game and just how tough he is i love all those elements but i think that overshadows a little bit that we're dealing with like a he's a good athlete he's not a great one i agree with you i actually um, is that like a narrative that people think he's a really good athlete I don't know if people think he's like a nuclear athlete, but I think I guess perception coming into this season, I thought that he was more widely regarded as a better athlete than what I saw. Okay, yeah, no, from what I understood about him coming in is he was not like some wild athlete. He was more like a super high motor, high energy guy that like would occasionally throw down like fearless, ridiculous dunks just because of that like lack of fear and that feel for the moment, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah, like I look at him as a player that is definitely developmental in that he definitely needs to improve the shooter a little bit, improve technically as a defender a little bit. But the base of skills across the board is very interesting to me in regard to him potentially being a 16-game player who can do a lot of different things as, like, the fourth best player on the court. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I would buy him much more if he was 6'8 or 6'9, like this big wing that could really go out and guard those guys. I don't know. He's going to try. I don't know how effective he's really going to be as, like, an individual defender. I, he's another one of these guys where I just don't really like the decision making. I love the effort. I love the motor. It's kind of like Cabin Gelly, where I don't see the passing on the move. He, he's just not a good passer at this juncture. Like I mean, you, like you said, maybe he's better than I saw at Kentucky. He was not a good passer at Kentucky. I didn't see a lot of high field plays from him really on either side of the floor. Most of it was motor based, and that does have a lure, and that's why I have him in this range because I do like his approach to the game. But I don't really buy again the high level athleticism, and I don't buy the decision making on either end. I think that that's all pretty reasonable, uh, to be honest. But again, as a wing that is reasonable size, reasonable length, reasonable uh, athleticism, great motor, high energy. Yes. Like these are the kind of guys that like you take a swing on and hope for uh, that they develop because like at 19 years old, they're just not finished products. And you hope that by the time that they're 21, they're uh, at the point where they can be contributors. Right. And that's exactly what I have him pegged as in the draft. This is the exact range for that exact reason. All right. Uh, Nick Claxton is 21 for me. Uh, you are a Nick Claxton. I have him higher than this, actually. Woo! I'm in on this. <laughs> I love it. So we're getting more agreement here. We're getting down to the, uh, the areas where I've actually kind of sorted through a little bit. Uh, oh, shout out. Shout out Scout with Brian coming at me on Twitter. Woo! Oh, I got to let that one go. I got to let that one slide. 
So Nick Claxton, I like Nick Claxton a lot because he is a guy that can defend multiple positions legitimately. He is a switch defender due to his athleticism, even at 6'11". 7'3", wingspan, terrific shot blocker inside, especially from the weak side. Uh, Very, very good uh, ball handler for his size. Can actually grab and go a little bit on the break. Georgia used him. Uh, as an offensive initiator at times uh, this season, just to like get him involved in the offense because they didn't really have a great lead guard situation this season. But overall, I think that he is still a developmental prospect that requires a leap of faith and belief in your own developmental scheme. Well, first of all, can I say congrats on your 81,000 purchase followers? Um, it's yeah. interesting that that's a retort for people like that. I've gotten that before as well like it, it's just funny how that's the first thing that people point out but uh i mean yeah, like <laughs> look oh, t- time out i i would be ecstatic and i would congratulate him if he had any ability to prove that i have ever purchased or paid for one follower because that shit ain't happening uh my man here is out of his depth and uh was deservedly uh, I don't know if he was fired or not. I mean, it's sure as shit that he's never going to work in an NBA organization again. So, I mean, do, do your thing, man, online. Have have fun. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting the wildfire moment on the podcast. Uh, yeah, like, I'm just like, not, like I, I'm at the point where I'm above this. I don't really care. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of how I operate on Twitter most of the time. It's just there's a lot of bullshit that goes on on a daily basis. Um, yeah, Nick Claxton. Go ahead, Nick back Claxton. To, back to the subject matter. Uh, fully agree with everything you said. I think he's definitely developmental. Um, he might be a second contract guy. He might be a year three or year four guy. He has to fill out. He has to get stronger. Um, I think he has to work on his shooting. He has the foundation for shooting, but I, I do worry a little bit that he brings the ball too close to his face when he brings it up. We've talked about that in the past, or at least I have. I'm not sure if that's a warranted take, but it just seems like he doesn't have as much control. You lose a little bit of power during that. So that just goes in alignment with the fact that he's developmental, but I can see the upside with him. I can see the switchability in space in the playoffs. Uh, ben Rubin just wrote an article for the site. It says, is this guy like a rich man's Kevon Looney or something like that? Like, I think he has more ball skills, and Ben noted this as well. Like, he did initiate Georgia's offense. He can dribble. He can grab and go. He can pass a little bit. And the shooting, there's at least some stuff to work on. He's taken pull-up jumpers. So he has coordination to his game. I think it's going to take a couple years to iron out. But in this range, I have him a little bit higher than this. I I just look at the fact that you can see the tangible upside. Like, you can see the realistic outcome where he is potentially – Maybe he starts at the four or something in some systems if he doesn't get the required girth because that might be his biggest issue is just positionally, where does he start? He'll get banged around by bigger players. He's not overly explosive. But in no the playoffs, doubt. You, you, that's like the yep. number one thing I think is like strength all the way. Like this guy, like that's why he is going to spend a lot of next year in the G League is because yes. he is just like not strong enough to deal with this. Yeah, exactly. And if I had better information as far as how much strength can this guy actually add, I would have more vindication behind this take i just i look at him and i see a player that could be valuable to basically any team maybe he doesn't have the high high upside but there's a lot of alluring qualities that 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 he possesses yeah i mean like like you said like it's hard to find players at 21 you know let's say 20 to 35 which is where i'd throw his range right now um 
it's hard to find players that go that late in the draft that you think have like a very real legitimate chance to be a 16 game player. Uh, yes. He is a big man specifically. He is one of those guys. Like I look at him and I'm like, you know what? This guy has the actual, I guess, wherewithal and abilities in terms of uh, just his athleticism, his length, you know, his instincts defensively to where you could keep him on the floor and it not be a disaster. That that actually says a lot, I think. Exactly right. And I think if you look at it, it's hard to build a big board just because, I mean, all of the intermediate players in between, like how do you exactly order 14 to 24 exactly? You know what I mean? But if you do it more like these are the guys I would target in specific areas of the draft. So with his range, 20 to 35 this is one of the guys that I would target. That's how I, that's the best way I can phrase it. Uh, yeah, I agree with you like wholeheartedly. I, you know, you and I are going to be at a stretched out position compared to the NBA on Claxton. Uh, you know, the two guys that I think I am probably highest on in comparison to where the rest of the league as a whole sees them would probably be Nick Claxton and Grant Williams. I think we're on the same page there. Oh, we're going to get to Grant Williams and that will, I will one up you there, my friend. <laughs> I man, like, I'm I'm real high with Grant. Like you're real, you're real high. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I've I've got him at 15 right now. I feel yeah. I I'm top 10, so like we're gonna get there. <laughs> yeah, I can't go that high with Grant. Uh, Grant is very skilled, and I love him as a human being. Haven't gotten a chance to hang out with him a couple weeks ago in Santa Barbara and uh, watch him train for a day and everything. But like Grant is uh that's tough. Top 10's tough for me. <laughs> I, I'm with you. It is tough, but I, I, I do believe it in this class. I, I think there's enough to work with, but we'll definitely get to his breakdown at, at a later juncture. We've already probably gone far enough here. <laughs> yeah, we have. We're, we've gotten through the guys we wanted to get through today. Cole, tell the people what's going on in your life. Uh, a lot of wire watching coming tonight. Don't have too much the rest of the, <laughs> the night here, so have some updates on that front. I will try to write a little bit more about the draft upcoming. I'm going to do a piece on probably movement shooters at some point, and I'll probably post some iteration of a big board. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. So, uh, you know, new, new content every day at the step in just had Zach Milner write a piece about Cameron Johnson. Definitely check that out. And, uh, as usual, continue to listen to this podcast. Yeah, go on ahead. Go to the step in cold does a great job. Go subscribe to the athletic. We're going to have a lot of great content up there. Uh, at some point, uh, really every day we have great content up there, but specifically, uh, with draft just because like I'll have a mock draft on Thursday and it just gets to be, uh, a lot, especially around this time of year. So, uh, I don't know. Shout, shout out the scout man. I mean, let's just, we, we, can, we can shout out the scout man. I, 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 can't, <laughs> I can't get involved in this man. It's just, it's remarkable. It's unbelievable. Um, all right, dude. Uh, Thanks for listening, folks. You can find the Game Theory Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, whatever you're looking for. It is uh, up there now. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.